Uh, my children hate playing board games with me because uh, I get super competitive. Uh, hands up if uh, you're one of those people that get super com competitive in board games. Uh, there's uh, a few of us. Uh, I know that there's more. Um, a little while ago, I played Monopoly with my children, and uh, I realised I just love winning. Uh, I love the feeling of collecting $200 as I pass go. I love the feeling of buying those little red and green houses. I was demanding rent from my children, <laughs> and uh, I was loving it. I love winning. Uh, my guess is that we all love winning. But what does it mean to win in life? Uh, that's the question that was asked uh, uh, earlier on this morning. Uh, what does it mean to win in life? Uh, how are you and I trying to win in life? Uh, well, friends, uh, we're finishing up our series uh, from 1 John today. From next week, we're going to uh, start a new series uh, looking at the first four chapters of Matthew's Gospel and uh, that will take us to the end of January. Uh, but I want to suggest to you that uh, 1 John has really been all about winning. It's been about being on the winning side. And you can see once more, as uh, John uh, wraps this letter up, that this theme of winning or being victorious... Uh, is in the letter. Uh, you can see it there in uh, the second half of chapter 5, verse 4. So if you have your Bibles there in front of you, uh, turn uh, to chapter 5, verse 4 of 1 John, and uh, we'll pick it up uh, in the second sentence. Uh, this is what John says. John says, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Uh, you see, here John gives us the means of winning, uh, our faith, and he identifies the one who is the winner. It is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so uh, we're going to unpack uh, what that means uh, in, in the next 30 minutes or so uh, as we look at the whole passage together. Uh, well, friends, uh, in order to win in life, you need to know who your enemy is, don't you? And you'll notice there in verse 5 that the enemy is described as the world. It is the world that needs to be overcome if you are to have the victory. But what is the world? Well, if you remember, the world in John's letter represents everything that is set against God. It represents sinful human desires and idolatry in chapter 2, verse 17. Further, it is the realm where Satan, or the evil one, has power in chapter 5, verse 19. It represents death because sin leads to death. And John says in his gospel that Satan has been a murderer from the beginning. And so if he has power, then it will end in death. Now, friends, what do you and I see as the biggest enemy in our lives? My guess is that the thing we see as our enemy 
will deeply affect the way that we live. Is that true? You see, if we think, for example, that our real enemy is poverty, then my guess is that our lives will be about building our wealth and material possessions, for that is how we win in life. He who dies with the most toys wins. So goes the same. Or if we think that the real enemy is people's disapproval of us, then our lives will be all about status and achievements, for that is how we win in life. But notice what God says. He says that the real enemy is the world. It is the world that needs to be overcome, for the world leads to death. And in the face of death, all our achievements, all our possessions, mean very little. Are you convinced that your greatest enemy is the world? How do we overcome the world? Well, uh, John's answer in verse 5 is that the one who overcomes the world is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, The Son of God is a title that means uh, the Messiah or the Christ. Uh, I think in John's letter he uses uh, the title Son of God and the title Christ in, in much the same way. Uh, it, it means Jesus is God's promised king, the one who has come to save his people and to usher them into his everlasting kingdom. But how do we know that Jesus really is the Son of God? Well, John tells us there that uh, there are actually three things that testify or show that Jesus is this Son of God. Uh, In verse 6, you can see that it is the the water and the blood that tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. But what is the water and the blood? It sounds a little bit cryptic, doesn't it? Uh, In fact, there's been a lot of ink spilt on what the water and blood might represent here. Uh, You know, some people say that it... uh, John is talking about the birth of Jesus because uh, if you've ever experienced a birth, you know that when, you're, you know, when, when a baby is born, uh, there's a lot of water and blood gushing out. Uh, others say that it represents Jesus' baptism, water, and his death, blood. And so it's talking about the whole of Jesus' life, or, or the whole of Jesus' ministry at least. Uh, But I I was greatly helped by uh, the writing of uh, a scholar by the name of Matthew Jensen, uh, who takes uh, this in quite a different direction, which uh, I think makes more sense of the Bible. And uh, he asks, where do you see water and blood together in the Bible? Where do you see water and blood together uh, in the Bible? Uh, That's not a rhetorical question. Uh, I want you to have have a think about it. Uh, Turn to your neighbour. Where do you see water and the blood together in the Bible? I'll give you a bit of a clue. It's in one of John's other writings. So uh, have a a chat about that and uh, we'll see uh, whether somebody can tell us. 
I can see people uh, searching on their mobile phones. Uh, it's so easy these days, isn't it? Uh, where do we see water and uh, the blood together uh, in uh, John's writings? Uh, if, if you know, uh, just uh, throw up your hand and, and tell us. John. At the cross. How, how do we see the water and the blood at the cross? When they, when they pierce him uh, with, with the spear, yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, if, if you want to turn to uh, the Gospel of John, uh, which is uh, um, different to uh, John's letter, uh, turn back to uh, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 19, uh, verse 34. Uh, John chapter 19, verse 34. And John didn't even have a mobile phone, he just sat there and he knew. Uh, John chapter 19, verse 34. Uh, listen to what, what John tells us. Uh, John 19, 34. But one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. And so we see the blood and water together just after the death of Jesus. Uh, But that's not the end of the story, is it? For uh, three days later, Jesus conquers death, he conquers the grave, uh, he rises again, and he appears to his disciples, and he shows his disciples his hands, as well as his side that was was pierced. Uh, He even makes another appearance to uh, doubting Thomas, who wasn't there the first time, and Jesus again shows Thomas his hands and his side, so that he will believe that he is the resurrected Son of God. And so you can see it there uh, in in John's Gospel again, chapter 20, verse 26. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 26, it says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Uh, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. You see, it is as the apostles see the nail marks in Jesus' hands, and it is as they see his wounded side where the water and blood flowed that they believe that Jesus has risen from the grave and that he is the Son of God. But it's more than that, isn't it? For if you flip uh, back with me to uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, uh, you can see there that it is also the Spirit of God who also testifies and shows us that Jesus is the Son of God. And friends, that's the role of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Uh, I think there's so much confusion these days about uh, what the Holy Spirit actually does. Uh, You know, some people say that the role of the Holy Spirit is to give you uh, the gift of of speaking in, in miraculous tongues, Uh, Others say that the role of the Holy Spirit is to 
give you extraordinary abilities, like the gift of healing. Uh, Others say when the Holy Spirit comes, you start to lose control of yourself and start rolling around on the floor. But friends, the Bible keeps on saying that the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to show you and me that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the King. You know, it's a bit like a a huge spotlight when you go to a theatre. You know, you go to a theatre to watch a musical and uh, you usually have a, a, a big spotlight that illuminates the main character on stage so that you have no doubt as to who is the lead character. Uh, The Holy Spirit is a bit like that. He shines a light on Jesus so that we can begin to see that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is our King. You see, it is when people love God's word and they begin to live their lives with Jesus as their king, that you see the work of the Holy Spirit. And what John tells us is that this is how we win. Uh, This is how we have the victory. We have the victory not by believing in the testimony of men, in verse 9, which uh, I think he's talking about uh, the false teachers and what they were teaching about Jesus, Uh, If you remember, they were denying that he was the Christ. But we win by believing the testimony of God that says that Jesus is your king. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God who has given us eternal life. Uh, Verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do you have the Son? Do you believe that he is the Son of God? Is he the king of your life? If you have, then you can be confident that you have eternal life is what God is saying. You can be confident that in Christ you have overcome the world. You're a winner. And friends, this is the reason why John writes this letter. He writes this letter because he wants to reassure Christians... He wants to reassure Christians in the church that he is writing to that they are the real winners. It is not those who have left the church claiming that Jesus is somehow less than the Son of God. No, it is them who remain and who continue to believe that he is the Son of God who are the winners. Uh, You can see it there in uh, verse 13, can't you? Verse 13. Uh, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, John is writing to Christians so that they will know that they have eternal life. He wants to reassure them. In fact, the little word know is a very important word in John's letter. If you come forward with me a little bit to verse 18, notice there that John wants his Christian readers to know 
that because they have Jesus, they will be sinless before God and the evil one will not be able to touch them. Uh, In verse 19, uh, John wants his Christian readers to know that because of Jesus, well, they belong to God rather than the world. In verse 20, John wants his Christian readers to know that because of Jesus, they have true knowledge of God rather than the ones who have left the church. Uh, And I think that's very important because uh, 1 John has often been read by Christians uh, as a sort of test. Uh, You know, if you fail the sin test, for example, uh, John talks a lot about sin. If you fail that test and you fail in the same sin over and over again, then perhaps you are not a Christian, is how some people read this letter. Or if you fail the love test, John speaks a lot about love. If you find yourself being selfish and unloving from time to time, then perhaps you may not be a Christian. You get the picture. But uh, 1 John is not so much a test for Christians, but it is a reassurance. It's a bit like the difference between sitting a, a citizenship test and pulling out your citizenship papers. You know, when you sit a citizenship test and uh, uh, you go to the place where they do the test and uh, the paper asks you, uh, what was the average number of runs scored by Don Bradman uh, over his career? Uh, who knows the answer to that? Oh, well, uh, you guys pass. Uh, everyone else fails. Uh, you can get, start to get a bit nervous uh, when you read 1 John as a test. But reading 1 John shouldn't be like that for a Christian person. Uh, it's not a test, but it's more like pulling out your citizenship papers or, if you were born here, pulling out your birth certificate and being reassured that you are a citizen. Because you believe in the Son of God, uh, you have eternal life. You have the forgiveness of sins. You are a citizen of heaven itself. Uh, We all need reassurance from time to time, don't we? Because we can sometimes think that we are on the losing side. I mean, uh, what am I doing here at church this morning on such a lovely sunny day? All my friends are at the beach on Sundays having a wonderful time and getting plenty of rest. They look like the winners, don't they? Or what am I doing giving up so much of my money to the work of the gospel? Most of my friends are buying their second and third houses so they can live comfortably in retirement. Surely that's what it means to win in this world. Why am I always putting others first, uh, others first and myself last? Everyone else is putting themselves first. They're the ones who are getting ahead in life. Perhaps they are the real winners. But friends, I want you to hear what God says. He says, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if he is your King and your Saviour, 
then you're the ones who are on the winning side because you have eternal life. Now, uh, what do you think the life of a reassured Christian will look like? What does it look like to be a confident Christian because you have been reassured that you have this victory? Well, did any of us think prayer? That's what the Christian life will look like. Uh, I must admit, uh, it wasn't the first thing that came to my mind. I would have thought the, the confident and reassured Christian is the one who, uh, you know, goes out evangelizing. That's a good thing to do. Um, it's the one who uh, does lots of ministry or uh, is the one who goes to more college or uh, whatever it is. But John here says that the one who is reassured and confident because they have eternal life is the one who prays. You can see it there in verse 14, can't you? Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Uh, Some of you might know that I have an office at home. Uh, I, I work from home a lot of the time. And uh, I've noticed that when uh, children come to my place to play with my kids, uh, they, they are afraid of approaching my office. Um, you know, it's a bit intimidating. There's lots of books. Uh, it looks like such a serious place. Uh, but not for my kids. They will burst into my study uh, whenever uh, they want to, and they will ask for anything. Dad, can you buy me a yo-yo? Can I watch TV? Can we go to Macca's tonight? Can we go to KFC tonight? Uh, It doesn't even matter to them whether I will give them what they ask for. They'll just give it a go. Because they are confident, you see, that I am their father and that I, I desire what is good for them. Friends, if we are confident that Jesus is the Son of God and that through him we have been born again as God's children, how much more reason do we have to confidently approach God in prayer? To ask him for the things that are on our hearts? But notice there is no promise here that God will give us everything that we ask for. No, uh, he is the one who knows what is good for us. And he knows that sometimes the things we ask for are not good for us. Rather, the promise is that if we ask according to God's will, he will give to us the things that we ask for. And you will see there that John gives us an example uh, of what it looks like to pray according to God's will. Uh, If you remember, John has been telling us over and over again in this letter that God's people are to love one another. Is that right? Uh, That's God's will for us, isn't it? He's told us that we are to love one another. Further, we know that God's will for his people is that they grow in holiness. John has spoken a lot about sin and progress. Uh, He said that God is light 
And so his people are not to live in darkness. And so one way of loving one another and being concerned for holiness is to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters who may be caught up in sin, you see. Uh, Verse 16 says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask or pray, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Uh, Now, you may be wondering, what is this sin that does not lead to death, and what is this sin that leads to death? Uh, lots of people can get anxious because uh, they think that perhaps you know, the sin that I've committed, that I'm deeply ashamed about, may be that sin that is so unforgivable that it will lead to death. But I think the sin here that leads to death is not any particular kind of sin. But it's the sin of walking away from Jesus. The sin of walking away from Jesus. Remember, the people who have left this church are the ones who have walked away from Jesus by by believing in a Jesus that is different to the one that John speaks about. They have denied that he is the Christ or the Son of God. But what John is saying here is that one way of praying according to God's will is to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ when they fall into sin. Is that something that we do? Do we pray for uh, one another as we uh, observe each other's lives? So often our prayers can be selfish ones, can't, can't they? We find it easy to pray for ourselves and our own needs and our own circumstances. But here John encourages us to pray for one another that God will give life to our brothers and sisters. Friends, can I suggest that a good practice to get into if we want to pray according to God's will is to pray according to what we read in the Bible. Uh, The Bible tells us what God's will is. We come to know the mind of God as as we read his word. And so uh, in our own personal study of the Bible or as we get together in our growth groups, it's always a good practice to read the Bible and then pray in line with what we've been reading. Let me finish up. Uh, This past week uh, I was asked to visit an older Christian lady called Heather uh, who is dying from cancer. Uh, So I went to the the palliative care ward of uh, Concord Hospital with one of our church wardens and uh, we got to spend some time uh, with Heather. Uh, She had lost a lot of weight. Uh, She was clearly uh, on the way out. Her body was failing. But she sat up on the bed when we came and she smiled and all she could talk about was how thankful she was to God for this and that and everything. Everything about her exuded a confidence that in Christ she had received eternal life. Uh, I had one John 5 running through my head 
at the time because I'd been studying it during the week. And uh, as I sat there and as I listened to her, uh, I couldn't help thinking to myself, uh, she is a winner. She is a winner. How do you win in life? Well, you win by believing that Jesus is the Son of God in whom there is eternal life. Do you believe that? Are you a winner? Because Jesus has defeated your greatest enemies of sin and death and the devil, and he has given you eternal life. Uh, One day we will be where Heather is right now. And on that day, all our achievements, all our wealth, all our possessions will not be able to save us. They might help in making us feel like winners in this life, but I assure you that if our trust is in those things, then we will lose everything. That's why John ends his letter with the command to keep away from idols in verse 21. It kind of seems a little bit out of place, doesn't it? Um, You know, if you have the victory, keep away from idols. But if you think about it, it does make a lot of sense. For if we believe that Jesus is anything less than the Son of God, who gives us eternal life, then we are not actually worshipping the true and living God, are we? We are worshipping idols. And false views of Jesus will mean that we go on to the losing side, not the winning one. Uh, Perhaps you've never believed that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, If that's you this morning, then let me urge you to come to him and believe in him. Believe in his name and receive eternal life. Crown him as the king of your life, and you will be a winner. Let's pray.